Yesterday was a good day. I got to drive down to Columbus to visit with our Statehouse crew, the Statehouse and Politics Editor Rick Rowan, Laura Hancock, Jeremy Pelzer, Andrew Tobias, and Jake Zuckerman. They are the heart and soul of our news reporting team in Columbus and on politics. It was great to be able to sit down with them. I hold them in the highest esteem. I did drive down on a beautiful day with the trees aglow, but I got to tell you, Mike DeWine's nuts. If he thinks people have stopped texting, more people, I think, were looking at their phones than the road and parked in the left lane doing 55 maddening drive. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And we're talking marijuana today because our audience keeps asking questions. We said yesterday we'd try to get this, and Tom Sutton at Baldwin-Wallace University provided it. Lisa, what do the age breakdowns tell us on this week's poll about how people will vote for Ohio's legalized marijuana proposal? So for the most part, the numbers tell us that as people get older, they're less likely to support issue two with just a slight blip in the middle. So overall... Everybody, all demographics, 57% support issue two. Uh, the highest support for issue two is in the 35 to 49 age group at 73%. Uh, 18 to 34 is 70%. And then it starts to drop from there. So from 50 to 64 age group, it's 56%. And those of us who are 65 and older, only 34%. So you see the support varies by generation. Um, Sutton was saying that, you know, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are more likely to support than boomers. The 18 to 34 group is more suspicious of alcohol consumption. Um, That's according to a national Gallup poll survey, and they're actually more accepting of recreational marijuana use. And Sutton says also they're more reluctant to restrict what people can do, even if it's if they're against being legalized. I'm talking about the younger cohort. And they find this is just kind of an aside but interesting, but the National Institute on Drug Abuse found that marijuana use is actually rising in the 19 to 30 and the 35 to 50 age groups. So that might inform the support as well. But we're going to see here that voter turnout is going to matter for issue two, because as we know, people over the age of 65 in the midterm election last year, 63.3% turnout among that age group, only 25% in the 18 to 29 group. So those people need to come out and vote. Yeah. And I think abortion may bring them out, but let me ask you this. Has there ever been a more hypocritical generation than the boomers? And I'm at the tail end of the boomers. So I'm talking about my generation Everybody, when I was younger, was doing marijuana. And now they want to say, no, no, nobody else can use it. What is wrong with these people? I don't know. I'm 66. I'm definitely voting yes. But then Ted Dieden, who's in the same cohort, he's 77, I think, he's voting no. So I think the younger side of that age cohort might be more open. Yeah, but Ted's group was all doing doobies back in the day at Kent (laughs) State. It's just bizarre to me how harumph, harumph they are. No, you can't do that. That I don't. I keep getting notes from people saying, I don't want people driving high on the road. It's like, what's the difference between that and alcohol? I mean, Mm -hmm. people are generally responsible. If they drive high on the road, they'll get arrested. It's it's just this bizarre fear tactic that that you're getting from the generation that really introduced marijuana into American life because everybody in the 60s and 70s seems like it was doing it. Interesting that the that the youngest of the voters 
have a slightly lower affinity to this than the slightly older group. Yeah, I would have thought those numbers would have been reversed. Yeah, me too. Interesting. Um, thanks, Tom Sutton, for providing that. I think it provided some illumination, and it's specifically what you talked about, Lisa, in terms of turnout. I do think, though, that and we were talking about this when I visited with the State House. The marijuana people really don't have to do everything because people are going to come out for abortion. And then if you're voting for legalized abortion in, in Ohio, you're very likely to probably vote for legalized marijuana as well. So we'll see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. As I've said, we've been answering as many questions as we can from readers about the marijuana proposal. And one that has come in repeatedly is about whether marijuana is a gateway drug to hard stuff. The reefer madness people all, oh my gosh, everybody will be a heroin addict. What did Gretchen Crowen, our reporter, tell us, Layla? Gretchen tells us that, that there is some research suggesting that marijuana use is likely to precede use of, a, of an addiction to alcohol, nicotine, and other substances. In one long-range survey of adults about their alcohol and drug use, they found that those who reported using marijuana early on were more likely to report new or worsening alcohol abuse later. And other studies also find that marijuana use often occurs with the use of other illegal drugs. And in studies using adolescent rats and mice, early exposure to cannabinoids made the reward centers of the brain less sensitive to, to dopamine later in life. And in rats that were given THC, it, it it showed stronger responses to other drugs. So that suggests that marijuana could prime the brain and sensitize it for those other, those other drugs. But it turns out that other drugs like alcohol and nicotine also prime the system. It's not a unique phenomenon to marijuana. And importantly, most people who use marijuana do not go on to use other drugs. So the conclusion there is that there are a number of social factors that influence a person's drug use. It's possible that people who are more vulnerable to drug addiction are just more likely to start out with whatever substances are available to them, marijuana, tobacco, or alcohol. So the evidence is pretty weak that marijuana is responsible for a person's addiction to other substances. On the other hand, there are some studies that actually find that the, the availability of marijuana might ease opioid addiction, that it can relieve withdrawal symptoms. And in places where they saw legalized marijuana, they also saw a decrease in the number of opioid-related deaths. But there are other studies, of course, that suggest that marijuana doesn't help at all with opioid addiction. And the American Society for Addiction Medicine doesn't recommend medical marijuana for the treatment of opioid use disorder. So the takeaway here is probably that they, we need to study this more, I guess. Well, there's two things about it that I think we should point out. The people who are against this proposal, one of their arguments is, okay, you know, we know alcohol, we know tobacco, we know what to do. Why add another thing that might lead people there? So, you know, do, do, does having some bad stuff mean you should have lots oh, of bad stuff? Oh, whatever. You know what? That's just because it's not <laughs> their bad thing. If someone tried to take away their bad thing, their, their beer, their cigarettes, they'd freak out. But just because it's somebody else's <laughs> thing. Uh, not that you feel strongly about this. <laughs> but the second thing I'd like to point out is we have 10 years of experience in Colorado. We have years of experience in California, and we've got lesser numbers of years in other states. We have not seen an explosion of opioid addiction in states that have legalized marijuana. It has not happened. So this idea that it's going to create a wild epidemic of additional opioid addiction hasn't been proven out. And so 
you're right. Only time will tell. This is kind of an odd in real time experiment we're going to enter. Or we've already entered in this country, but so far the results have not been the doom saying that the reefer madness types have argued. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, this might be a sign that Congress has awakened from its stupor. Is Jim Jordan's attempt to be Speaker of the House of Representatives really and completely dead? Laura. I mean, I I hate to say 100% DOA. I think it's too soon to call, especially after last time when it took 15 floor votes over four days to make McCarthy the speaker. But I think you're more convinced than me that it is officially over for Jim Jordan. He lost more votes than he had before additional votes, and he could only lose four Republican votes to capture the 217 needed to win. On Tuesday, he had 20 that he needed. On Wednesday, he was up to 22. Sorry, 22. So he's still winning, trying to win his colleagues over. We had a story overnight from Cliff Pinkert, our overnight reporter, that there are been death threats after people voted against Jim Jordan. That's from U.S. Representative Marionette Miller Meeks and Iowa. And she said that there was credible death threats. At least Jim Jordan called those abhorrent and said that nobody should be um, getting threatening tactics for voting for their beliefs, which, I mean, good for although, Jim. <laughs> yeah, although that's part of what's going on here. Exactly. There's bullying tactics exactly. being used. And it wasn't I, him. I, it was like his cronies, right? Like his yeah, henchmen. But- yeah, I mean that—that's no way to 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 govern. That's no way to choose a leader through bullying tactics. And I think it's only stealing the resolve of those who vote against them. The other thing you're seeing is more and more news outlets are writing about Jim Jordan's history. Mm-hmm. We in Ohio know what a wrecker he is. I mean, I, I don't think anybody summarized it quite as well as Brent Larkin did last week. The guy is a destroyer. He doesn't create or do anything beneficial. He just destroys. Plus. He was tied to the insurrection and almost mm-hmm. overthrew the government. Plus, he's a big time election denier saying, you know, Donald Trump should be president. And he spends it, all it, his time in the Judicial House Committee calling in people and weaponizing yeah. government. I mean, he's got a monstrously bad record. That's not what America is about. And as more and more media outlets take a look and, and remind people of just what a terrible legislator he really is, I think he loses support. I, I do think he's gone down the drain quickly. And, you know, for once, the right thing seems to be happening. It would be awful if he were the Speaker of the House. It would send a terrible message to the world about what we stand for. Completely agree. Um, Speaker John Boehner, former Speaker, called him his group, the um, Freedom Caucus that he founded, political terrorists in his memoir. And he got a protest vote from the Speaker on Wednesday from Pennsylvania Republican Mike Kelly. So I, I do hope and I'm calling on all the moderates in Congress, right, to stand up for what's good for the country. I mean, Jim Jordan has never been about passing things for the good of people. Like He hasn't made that a secret. He stands up and he says, I'm going to fight the fight for the very, very conservative members of his caucus. And that's not what we need. Right. He stands for everything that is wrong with Congress. It is Ohio's shame that he comes from here. And it's unthinkable that he could be House Speaker, and maybe it's actually becoming truly unthinkable. You're listening to Today in Ohio. One reason many people don't think much of Jordan is because of his work to help Donald Trump reverse the election of Joe Biden. Jordan and Trump spent a lot of time trying to convince America that its election system is crooked 
One reason of that is distrust, or one result of that is the distrust we have now widespread of election workers. Lisa, what's an Ohio legislature trying to do about that? They're trying to protect elections workers from an increasingly polarized and violent society. Uh, Senate Bill 173 was introduced by the Republican Teresa Gavarone of Bowling Green and Democrat Bill DeMora of Columbus. This would add elections workers to a list of professions that would be exempt from public records laws. It currently covers first responders, judges, prosecutors, prison guards, and their names don't appear in property or voting records used to determine some address. In an internal Senate memo about this legislation, they said that we've seen dangers faced by election workers in a polarized society. DeMora says this is not a partisan bill. It's meant to protect overworked, underpaid elections workers. And Ohio Association's of elections officials, executive director Aaron Ackerman says he's very appreciative of these efforts to protect the workers across the state. He says there have been some threats in Ohio, but not nearly as intense in states like Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. But um, he did say that he hopes the bill has enhanced criminal penalties that are currently being proposed on the federal level. It's a direct result of what Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Jim Jordan and all the other election deniers that were trying to go against the will of the people, direct result of everything they said. It rallied people to make threats on election workers who are doing God's work. They're going there to make sure the elections are run fairly and, and sanely. And, and this is so sad that we've come to this. We have to protect their addresses from people who are sparked to action by the former president and his sycophants. And, you know, the the Department of Justice has started charging people for this. Apparently, at least 12 people in other states have been charged for threatening elections workers. And a survey has found that about 30% of election workers in the country have experienced some form of abuse. It's amazing. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The Ohio Turnpike has been working on a new tolling system, which is beyond confusing, as we've discussed previously. I almost feel like it's so confusing that once you get on, you'll never be able to get off. <laughs> Layla, when does this nightmare officially start? Part of the changes could go live in about a month. This is the special lane that will let those easy pass uh, drivers cruise through without stopping. Electronic sensors will automatically calculate how much those drivers owe. And non-easy pass drivers who try to sneak into the easy pass lane, the scoff laws are going to get hit <laughs> with a bill in the mail because cameras will record their license plate. Construction of the new easy pass lanes is nearly complete, they say, but Turnpike staff are still testing all the other aspects of it, like the new hardware and software for electronic tolling and setting up the updates to the billing process. But believe it or not, all of that sounds like it's the easy part. <laughs> the part of this plan that falls into that nightmare category is that the turnpike is is changing the way they calculate tolls. And that's going to probably take effect in January under that system. Oh my gosh, <laughs> my eyes rolled behind my head right. while I was reading this. I mean, the turnpike drivers coming from Ohio, uh, f- coming from Ohio, Oh, wait, into Ohio from Indiana or Pennsylvania will each have to pay a flat rate toll upon entering the state with rates depending on the size of their vehicle and whether they have an easy pass transponder. And then westbound passengers uh, headed out of Ohio into Indiana will have to pay an additional toll for, you know, and then $3 for paying with cash or credit card. And then the eastbound, it's a disaster. So 
get ready, buckle in. And get <laughs> the easy pass so you don't have to think about yeah, right. it. Yeah, but there'll be people that get in the easy pass lane that shouldn't be there oh, and block up that. the traffic anyway. Yeah, because then all you just people... get a bill, and that's so much easier. I hope all those people <laughs> that go to Michigan for marijuana don't use it before they come back because they'll never figure this out. <laughs> it's the dumbest system I've ever seen, and they keep trying to explain it. You know, well, we have to take care of the people who like to pay cash, and it's like, no, you don't. Get, you know, fix it. Make this standard like other places have. This is this will eventually get fixed because it's too wacky to to be believed. What was really wrong with the previous system, though? I mean, it, you pay well, by, you the pay by the mile or whatever you pay you know, yeah, for the distance, but, and that's it. But, but you always had to decades. stop, and other yeah. states have figured out ways to not make you stop. And when you have to stop, there are traffic jams, right? No, yeah, and the you easy have... pass thing is fine, but I'm talking about this other system oh. of calculating the tolls. Yeah, this I is know. Well, it's because they're taking out some of the... Uh, the toll plazas that were when you got off, like in the no man's land between Toledo and Indiana, they're getting rid of all of the little places where people would collect your money. And so they're just causing the, calling the, the flat fee. And that way they don't have to pay those people to work there. Good, good luck trying to explain this. Can you imagine the people sitting in the room who came up with that? Hey, maybe they went to Michigan and got some weed before they did. Cause it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You're listening to today in Ohio. Are those ubiquitous white and blue Amazon mailing bags a thing of the past? How is Northeast Ohio playing a big role in Amazon's move to greener packaging, Laura? Yep, they're going on their way out. We're going to move to 100% paper, and it's starting in Euclid in the fulfillment center there. More than 100,000 Amazon packages are sent from that fulfillment center each day. When, when you think about the number of Amazon fulfillment centers just in Northeast Ohio that you drive past on a regular basis, the number of packages they're delivering is mind-boggling. So they're replacing the pa plastic packaging packaging with these paper alternatives that can be easily recycled along with your cardboard boxes, your glass bottles, your pop cans. And they, they have like form fitting boxes that are made to fit whatever you ordered, like popcorn bags, which is just super cool. No, it's not. I've received them there <laughs> for anybody that flattens their cardboard to put it in the bin. These are a nightmare because they're all glued up and it's very hard to flatten them. I, uh, as soon as we got them, we thought, oh no, we hope this isn't the future. This is going to make it much more difficult to put stuff in the bin. Where do you start seeing them? I don't think people are going to respond well. Oh, well, that's too bad because I was, <laughs> I, uh, though, I mean, I still have to put all my recycling in. I have to buy plastic bags to put my recycling in. The whole thing is bananas. Mm. So I, I, at least we're going, I mean, those paper, those plastic ones were just sitting in a landfill. Yes, the plastic bags were a bad idea. The The idea of using glue, you, you'll see. For people that, that put their cardboard out, they're going to be annoyed. Well, the thing is, this is starting in Euclid. It's not running out to the rest of the country yet. So maybe they'll listen to this podcast and refine their design. They should really contact Chris Quinn, the maker of furniture and fixer of all things, and he will fix your paper bags for you. The power of the podcast. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We had a high old time earlier this year talking about the companies that use dogs to harass Canada geese to make them go away. A lot of people get annoyed by these roving gaggles of geese. One North Ohio city, Northeast Ohio city, though, has taken this goose issue into much more serious territory. Lisa, which one and what are they doing? 
City council members in Mentor voted Tuesday to declare the Canada goose a nuisance health risk animal, and harboring or feeding Canada geese is now a fourth degree misdemeanor because it went into effect immediately, and that's subject to a $250 fine and or up to 30 days in jail for feeding or harboring geese. They say that it's a it's been a pretty big problem, but their biggest problem is at Garfield Park where people are feeding them with cracked corn, just throwing it on the ground. And it gets messy pretty quick, officials say. And apparently um, one single candidate goose can poop up to 1.5 pounds a day. So yeah, if you're feeding a lot of geese, that's a lot of poop. And they also say that feeding geese leads to normalization with humans, encourages geese to overstay when they should be migrating and encourages them to take up residence in Mentor. So the city's national natural resource division says they're going to try lasers and noisemakers like bottle rockets to scare them off. As you said, Chris, a lot of companies use dogs. There are geese nuisance abatement companies and they use dogs to scare them off. I the the biggest surprise to me in this story is, is that people feed geese. Who in their right minds would feed the Canada goose? It's just going to create an enormous slimy problem. That's the shock to me. Of course they should be taken to jail. What are they thinking? Well, when I was a kid in the Shaker Lakes, we used to feed the geese. And as a matter of fact, they had to stop. And this was years ago. I'm talking about, they had to stop, you know, because the lake was so small and their poop was filling up the lake and making it foul. But yeah, I used to feed geese. I don't anymore. Yeah, it was a different era, though. I think today, because they're protected, everybody considers the geese a nuisance. So who's feeding them? They're out of their minds. They probably have disgusting yards. And anyway, interesting that they're stepping it up in Mentor. We'll I, see if they I just have realized I should, uh, I should rent out my kids to chase these things. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, love, they love chasing seagulls. It's one of their hobbies. So I think geese would be, would be so fun for them. Call me shaker. (laughs) Yeah, but it's interesting that they, you know, they they're calling it a health risk, and you know, apparently feces from geese can contain Salmonella, E. coli, Listeria, and other bacteria. And interesting, yeah. Interesting, Mentor actually has several nuisance animals on their list. It includes feral cats, deer, skunks, and raccoons. Okay, you're listening to today in Ohio. Mike DeWine and John Houston have had a remarkable run of economic development wins. They've attracted all sorts of investment to Ohio and probably don't get the credit they deserve on that front. The latest boon to the state is a defense motivation hub program in the southern part of Ohio. We're one of five states to get it. And Senator Sherrod Brown says this will be big for Cleveland, Layla. How's that going to happen? So the idea behind the Defense Innovation Hub is to promote the development of defense-related technology and help small businesses in Ohio work with the Defense Department. This one, which is called the Ohio Mission Acceleration Center, will be located in Ohio's Miami Valley. But Sherrod Brown says that it will partner with companies and institutions all around the state, including in Cleveland, And we're talking about startups, academia, industry, local and federal partners, and other local talent and technology all being brought to the table to promote innovation and connect them directly to Department of Defense needs. There are predictions that that this will help create high-tech and manufacturing jobs across the state, including here. So uh, sounds promising. Yeah, I, I, I am surprised at just how much success they've had in bringing people here, especially when Ohio has become kind of a frightening state to 
young people who might be looking to relocate. And this is just another success. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've all celebrated in recent years the success of the U.S. women's soccer team, although they had a tougher run this year. Is Cleveland about to get serious about women's soccer, Laura? Well, we're trying, and the Cleveland Soccer Group and Rock Entertainment Group are asking Clevelanders to back the bid. They want to gain a National Women's Soccer League team in 2026. That league has 15 teams. They're eyeing expansion for a 16th. And if we get it, Cleveland would have the state's only major professional women's sports team. I think back to the days of the Cleveland Rockers. Remember when we had a WNBA team? That was pretty short-lived. Anyway, you can pay $26 and receive a back-the-bid t-shirt, a digital social media kit badge, and the right to secure priority tickets when they go on sale if we ever get this. So you go to clevelandprosoccer.com to show your support. Okay, let's see if they get it. They don't want a new stadium, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. Maybe they'll take over the Brown Stadium if they get one. It's today in Ohio. All right. I didn't put this on the list because I wanted it to be much more spontaneous. I walked into, or I tried to walk into our bedroom oh. recently and I couldn't get in because my wife was in her seasonal move to exchange all of her clothes. There was clothes everywhere, bins. I couldn't believe it. So the next time I was in the office, I asked Laura, hey, do you change your clothes out every season? She burst out laughing because this is a thing. Laura wrote a piece about this. Laura, let's talk about the difference between (laughs) men and women on this. It sounds like this is a gigantic chore for you every year. I wouldn't say it's a chore because a chore is like something you don't want to do. (laughs) Like I get excited about switching out my closet because it's like a whole new wardrobe. I swear at least once it's like closet swap. I'm like, oh my God, I completely forgot. I bought these. It's usually something that happens at the end of the season. I find on clearance and then you get really excited to wear it the next time. So yeah, it's like you switch out all the shorts, you bring in the wool sweaters and it's it's complicated depending on how many how many clothes you have, how many sports you do, and what you have the gear for, and how big your closet is. So everybody knows that I had a renovation last year. I have a much bigger closet than I ever had before, so it's not as big of a deal. And I have space under the eaves of my attic. But in in the old days, I literally would take armloads of dresses up to the attic. I would take bins of, you know, those giant Rubbermaid bins up and down the stairs all the way to the basement. And it was like, oh man, you forgot this. You had to, it, it was, a, it could be a workout back and it forth. It was hours, right? Yeah. It would take you hours? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take <laughs> me hours now. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, and, and then there's like the little mini ones, right? Like I don't, get out my holiday stuff yet and that only lasts for a a month or so so yes it depends how devoted you are to the seasons and how much space you have and I my neighbor did tell me because I asked her if she does this and she said her husband has more clothes than her and so he has to do his his closet swap twice a year too Layla you talked differently you just said you throw (laughs) lots of stuff away because you were into a minimalist movement yes yeah you know years ago I I read that book the life-changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo which I recommend to everybody and it it completely changed me I I have embraced minimalism as much as possible I am constantly trying to move in that direction and pull my family along and I just think that one of the keys to happiness is owning less stuff and I'm trying always to get as ri- get rid of as much as possible. And so th- the clothes in my closet and in my drawers are all that I've got. And I don't swap out from season to season. 
I've got all the summer stuff in there, all the winter stuff. I layer things. Um, in fact, I, I'm going to go in there and purge some more after this conversation. <laughs> Wait, Liz, I'm exhausted just listening to Laura talk about her. Right? <laughs> when, I, when I read, I didn't read the entire thing, so maybe I need to go back. But the, the sparked joy that Marie Kondo about, like, it just made me buy more stuff. I was like, oh, this sparks joy in me. I want it. That's <laughs> hilarious. The exact opposite. Yeah, the idea there is that, you know, she says to basically handle every object you own and ask yourself, well, she says, does it spark joy? But really the question is, do I need this? Does this, mm-hmm. does have you gotten rid of all your books? Me- you know, I have gotten rid of a lot of books and it's, it makes me laugh when I walk into pe- you know people's houses and they've got bajillion books on display because I really hate having physical books. I love my Kindle. I love how you can store a but you know a ton of books on your on on that device and it's there it's not you know causing clutter or gathering dust and um you know I'm over that whole it's tactile experience of reading a book I hate holding a book Oh God, I love holding a book. What is wrong with you, Layla? Come on. (laughs) What about you, Lisa? Do you have a seasonal change out? I'm like Layla. I mean, I my condo in Houston and and here in uh, my 56 ranch, there's not a lot of closet space, you know. So I've learned to live with just one closet full. I do have like an antique wooden trunk that holds all my sweaters. So I typically don't open that trunk, you know, for, until about this time of year. So I'm like, Layla, I don't switch stuff out. But does out. it I'm spark a- joy when you open it and see the sweaters? <laughs> it it does. It, it really does. And like you said, you know, I find things that like, oh yeah, I forgot I bought this, you know, so it's kind of like going shopping again. <laughs> they say you should always shop in your closet before you go out to the store. So Lisa, since you said you've lived with uh, with less square footage in the past and do you think you could ever be a tiny house person? I lived in 800 square feet for 17 <gasps> years. That is like wow. a tiny house. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I could do it. Of course, I'm in just under 1600 feet with a basement now. So, did you find that you filled the space with stuff when you no. could twice as much? Okay. And ab- ab- here's the thing, when I moved from Ohio from Texas to Ohio, I only had to buy a couple of pieces of furniture. All the furniture I crammed into that little condo actually filled out most of my house. Wow. Wow. So, Chris, impressive. what about you? Now you have to share. I, it takes me literally 20 minutes to change out my clothes. I mean, there's one bin with some <laughs> winter stuff that I bring down. I mean, it's it's so fast. It's quick. Now, I have a, a huge number of tools because, as Laura pointed out earlier, I fix a lot of things, and you need tools to do that. So if when it comes to stuff, I probably have more than most because I use it all. But uh, so, but I love the minimalist idea. I love having books, though. I have bookshelves everywhere mm-hmm. loaded with books, and I, I, you know, they're they're books I've read and I like, and um, so I'm not. It big reminds into... you of how smart you are, Chris. Gr- it's well, nice to have maybe, <laughs> or as I as I get older and get dementia, I'll read them again because everything will be new to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You ought to check out Laura's story. She did a really delightful job writing about this. It's on Cleveland.com. We've gone long. Thanks for listening to Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Friday, we'll be wrapping up the weekend news. 